because they despised him, they hated him, they threw him in a pit and sold him off to a caravan of um, travelers going to Egypt, and then he's sold off again. And so he spends years and years and years um, just passing from one thing to another and receiving not uh, love and encouragement, but hurt and pain. And so we talked about the five pits by which you and I experience a lot of pain early on in life. And usually that pain comes to us um, outside of our control. These are things that we could not control about ourselves or about what was done to us, said to us. And so we, we begin that journey of dealing with emotional pain. And then as we continue our journey throughout adolescence and into adulthood, it just keeps compiling itself. So the question is, what do we do with the hurt and the pain that we experience in life. So I've likened it to a backpack in that what we do is those, those, those things that are said to us, done to us, that we experience, they're like rocks we just keep stuffing into a backpack. And we're not really sure how to deal with them or what to do with them. And so we just keep compiling, compiling. Now, again, this is a very small backpack. Most of us are carrying around luggage, man. I mean, we got luggage that we've carried around most of our lives wondering what it is that we're going to do with all of this emotional pain and turmoil. And the reason why this is so, so important is because you never contain your emotional toxicity in one place in your heart without it spilling over into every relationship that you have. So whatever you fail to deal with, somebody else becomes the recipient of that toxic emotion that is stirring within you. And so with um, pain comes loss, and with every loss, you need to grieve that loss. And so we talked about good grief. How do we grieve the losses that we've experienced so that we can begin unpacking this backpack? Because again, whatever you fail to grieve, um, somebody else is going to feel it. Because again, that, that emotional turmoil is just brought into relationships, so it affects the way that I husband, it affects the way that I parent, it affects the way that I, you know, conduct myself in a variety of different scenarios and situations in my life. So last week we talked about um, the essential step is that we have to ultimately end up taking responsibility for what's in here. Now you may not have had any control about what got put in here. But once it's here, you have to take responsibility in order to unpack this to experience God's forgiveness and healing in your life so that you can in turn extend that to somebody else. And we're going to talk about that today. But the importance is that you've got to start cleaning up your mess because this is really messy. And so what a lot of us want to do is that we just don't want to grow up. We don't want to take responsibility. We, we feel like we're the victim, and therefore I'm not responsible for what's in here, and I'm just waiting for the day that whoever caused this hurt and pain in my life, that they're going to come crawling to me on their hands and knees, begging my forgiveness, and then I'll think about it, and maybe I will extend forgiveness, or maybe I will not, and that will begin unpacking what's in here. Well, if you wait for somebody to come and ask for that kind of forgiveness, you're probably going to be waiting a lifetime. And so some, sometimes we just don't want to take responsibility for this. We want somebody else to take responsibility. In other words, I don't want to grow up. I just want somebody to carry my backpack for me. 
And there are those of you who have the Messiah complex. You love to take people's backpacks, and you love to carry their hurts and their wounds, and you're going to be their Jesus, their Messiah, and you're going to bring healing in their life with all this that's going on. Now, when you have somebody who doesn't want to take responsibility for all the hurts in here, and they find somebody who has a Jesus complex who wants to take all that hurt for them, not just helping them bear the load, but taking the load for them, that's called codependency. And there are a lot of codependent relationships out there in the world between husbands and wives and family members and so on and so forth because we just really don't want to deal with this because it's just too painful. Healing, the roadway to healing always involves pain. It's the same way physically. If I have something wrong with my body that needs surgery, I don't know of any surgery that is not painful. Now, you may not feel any pain while you're under the knife, and you may not feel any pain shortly thereafter as you're, you know, they're pumping morphine in you to deaden the pain. But eventually, they take those medicines away, and you feel the extent and the pain that is going on in your body in order to help you reach maximum healing. The same thing is true emotionally. So the very first, uh, on the top of your outline, if you're taking notes, here's kind of my big idea for today, is that if you don't let your past hurts die, if you don't let them die, they won't let you live. You will stay tied to those past hurts. Now, you may shove them down. You, you may try to not think about them, or you may try to disassociate from them, as we talked about last week, but... Sooner or later, all of that's going to come back to the surface when you hear that person's name or you see that person or you think about that event that took place with you. And, and you have an enemy called Satan who will make sure those things come back up in front of you because he wants you living in the pain and not in God's healing, right? He's the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And the way in which he does that is to keep us chained to the past, those past hurts, those rocks that are firmly placed in our personal backpack. So I want us to look at two passages of Scripture today. Uh, one is going to be out of Matthew 18, but I want to start with Ephesians chapter 4, if you'll turn there, if you have a Bible. Ephesians chapter 4, I want you to look at what Paul says. It kind of sets up the scenario for what Jesus instructs us when it comes to this issue of supernatural forgiveness. And I call it supernatural forgiveness because I don't know about you, but in my own strength, in my own power, I don't have the ability to forgive. I, there are times I didn't even want to forgive, right? And so it's a supernatural movement of God through his Holy Spirit that enables us to begin to unload the rocks out of this backpack one at a time. And more than likely, if not always, it's going to require the step of forgiveness. There's somebody you're going to have to forgive because when somebody hurts me, there is a debt-to-debtor relationship that has now been established. They owe me. And in my mind, I, I, I can pretty much tell you what they owe me, or at least what I think they owe me. So let's look at what Paul says. He says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work but must work doing something useful with his, his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. So I want you to note this, that forgiveness 
is both a decision and a process. It is a decision. It is an act of your will. If you wait until you feel like forgiving, you'll never forgive, right? It is not, remember, feelings, you want to feel your feelings. That's a part of good grief. But you don't want those feelings in the driver's seat of your life. If you're going to cut ties from the past that's holding you back, tying you down, keeping that woundedness open and, and uh, very subtle, supple and, you know, just feeling those feelings all over again every time you think about the event or the person or what happened. Uh, God wants to cut ties with that, but you have to make the decision to get involved in the process by which that's going to happen. And here's another statement. My past, my past will remind me of what has happened, but it does not have to define me. Right, so there are a lot of rocks that were in my backpack from my past that were defining me or were trying to define me. They, they were rocks that I took on as my identity. And so those rocks really remind me of what's going on. Regardless of all kinds of things in our past which deeply hurt or wounded you, maybe you felt deeply betrayed or abandoned, um, whatever it is that took place for you, forgiveness allows us to leverage the lessons from our past without, you know, lugging the luggage around with us. So you want to think about your past. Yes, it reminds you of what's happened, but it does not have to define your life unless you want to let it define your life. And the only way you can allow it to, to define your life continuously is to leave them in that backpack and try to carry that with you throughout life. Because remember, <laughs> at no point in my life, that it's like, okay, Greg, at age 35, man, there's never going to be another, another hurtful thing that's ever going to happen to you, right? Has that ever happened to you? All throughout our lives, hurtful things happen. Tragic things happen. Painful events take place. A job loss. A relational breakup. I mean, there's just a thousand and one different things that we're going to experience throughout the course of our lifetime. And so the purpose of this series on shattered dreams is to learn how to put into place in your life a process by which you can unload that when it gets in the backpack, not 5, 10, 15 years down the road, but how do you immediately unload that? Well, let's unload what's already in there, and then let's set up the process by which I can unload that the minute that that rock gets thrown into my bag. Fair enough? All right. I'm not going to promise that you can do all this in one day. It's a process, right? I don't know how many rocks you got in your backpack, how much stuff you're harboring inside of you that you've never really dealt with. It's not, it, I don't want to give you this false assumption that, well, if I just do step, step one, two, three, four, boom, it's all gone. And, you know, it's like, oh, uh, no, it's, it is a process. It may, for some of you, it may take a while. For some of you, it may take up to a year. I don't know. But I do know that God can bring about healing. So here's what Paul says. He gives us two imperatives, which means they are commands. He says, do not, in your anger, do not sin. In your anger, that's an imperative, in your anger, do not sin. In other words, Paul says, there are some things to be angry about. Right? If somebody hurts you, they betray you, they, they rob your reputation, of course you're going to be angry. 
Those are emotions that are legitimate that God has given to you. The question is, what do we do with the anger? Anger is a secondary emotion. It's always driven by something. It can be driven by hurt. It can be driven by disappointment. It can be driven by a number of things. The question is, once the anger hits, and yes, you have a right to be angry, it's what do you do with that anger that will determine whether or not you're going to have success in moving forward in your life without allowing that event to, um, to destroy you or, or to you know, just put you back years back, back in the same hurt, back in the same pool, where you're just like, oh, it's, here we go all over again. This is the 14th time this person's done this to me. What am I going to do with that? He says, no, he says, be angry, but do not sin. That do not means to make a decision. And he goes on to say, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, some people read that and think, well, you mean I got to get rid of my anger and get rid of this, like, you know, like before the evening hits? Well, that might be possible if it's like a small infraction. Like, ladies, your husband for the 14th time that you've told him didn't take out the trash that day. I'm sorry, you might be a little miffed about that, a little angry. And so you may be able to deal with that that evening. That's not what Paul's talking about. It's not that I have to get, unload and get rid of everything in one day. That would be absolutely impossible for, for many of us. Here's what Paul's communicating. He's communicating that at some point, you have the responsibility. You've got to deal with this. And it's your decision. Are you going to let this go on for another day, another month, another year, another five years? Or do you want to offload this and unload it out of your life? Because you have the ability to do that because it's a supernatural act of God in your life as a follower of Jesus Christ and dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Or do you just want to hang on to that and, and treat it like it's a family heirloom and just pull it out once in a while and tell everybody your sad story and we can all tell each other our sad stories and we can all commiserate together because we all have sad stories. Or do you want to offload this out of your life and experience the healing and the freedom that God wants to bring in its place? And so he says... Do not give. There's a part of your responsibility. Do not do what? Do not give the devil a foothold. The word foothold means a place to stage himself. In other words, every time you pack a rock in that backpack, you, you, you put that hurt there, that thing that you have not dealt with, you are giving him an opportunity to set up shop an opportunity to set up camp and to bring some of his friends with him, all right? And so he wants to make sure, watch this, your adversary who wants to nothing but kill, steal, and destroy, he wants to make sure that every rock remains firmly placed in here. He knows, he understands the ramifications of this, the fallout of this, the consequences of that. And therefore, you are setting up a staging place for him where he, from which he can operate. You're giving him that foothold into your life. And once you, he has a foothold, he never stops with a foothold. He's all in, right? He, he, he'll, he'll use his demonic beings, and they'll be all in your life because that's exactly what he loves to do. And so if you allow the sun to go down on your anger night after night, and you can fill in the blank, well, my anger's towards my boss, it's towards my mom, it's towards my, my dad, it's towards my ex-spouse, it's towards whoever it might be. You do not want to give that person 
who hurts you a staging ground for your heart any more than you want to give your adversary. And so Paul says, you have to decide. It's not easy. It may not happen overnight, but you have to make the decision to take personal responsibility for what is in this bag. Whether you caused it to be in there or not is not the issue. The fact is, it's in your life. Now the question is, what are you going to do with it? How are you going to rid yourself of this? How are you going to unload all the hurt and the pain that you've experienced in the past, that you're going to experience in the present, and you're going to experience into the future? And so Paul says, you can feel the anger, and you should. I mean, if somebody betrays you, somebody, you know, talks about you behind your back and ruins your reputation with somebody else, that ought to anger you. That's just a natural emotion. So the question is, what do I do with that? Do I allow it to define me, or do I do something else with it? Do I give the devil, uh, the deceiver, the slander, a, a foothold in my life, or am I going to exercise what Paul goes on to say, if you want to offload him out of your life, there's only one way to do that. It's through forgiveness. So at the end of that chapter, Paul says, now, if you want to offload, if you want to shut the door on, on Satan, then you must forgive others just as Christ has forgiven you. Now, being a part of a prayer team that focuses on people's healing especially in, in the emotional area of healing, nothing gives Satan an open door into your life in a greater capacity than that of unforgiveness. You have swung the door wide open into your life, and trust me, he will come in, he will set up camp, and he will, he will make your life miserable. And we're going to see this now in Matthew chapter 18. So if you will... We'll turn there. Here's what Jesus has to say about this whole issue of forgiveness. Matthew chapter 18. Now, on this day, Jesus has been talking to a group of people, and uh, he's explaining um, how if a person is offended, like you get offended by somebody else, he begins explaining what you ought to do, how you ought to respond. What are your steps of action? And so if you've been offended by somebody, it's not like you, have, you sit around and wait for the person who offended you to come and, and, and apologize. No, no, no. He says, you, the offendee, uh, you're to go to that person. And you're to go and tell them, hey, you know what? What you've said, what you did greatly offended me. And he said, if you, if you can't get anywhere by yourself, you go back a second time, only you take somebody with you. If that doesn't work, you go a third time, only this time you bring it to the church. You bring it to the body, to the, to the leadership of the church to see if there's any way reconciliation can happen between you and this individual who has brought offense into your life. And so um, as he's explaining how two people are to make restitution... It's like Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, he's sitting back and he's listening to this explanation. And he's thinking to himself, you know what? That kind of hits home. Because there's a person that I'm dealing with in my life who's not only offended me once, twice, but multiple times. And quite frankly, I'm wondering, how many times do I need to forgive this person? How many times do I need to go to them? How do I reconcile what they're doing with how I should respond? And so... 
You know, Peter's listening to what Jesus is teaching, and Peter's thinking about his personal situation and trying to figure out how the two to go to go together. And when Jesus finishes his dialogue, you know, Peter kind of ushers Jesus off to the side, and he says, Lord, um, let me ask you a question. If somebody offends me, how many times do I have to forgive? In other words, at what point do I get to say, enough is enough? I'm not forgiving you anymore. You've done this so many times, we're done. How many times, Lord? And it's like, like Peter was like, okay, let me show you how generous I am, Jesus. Hey, hey, Lord, if, if I forgive them seven times, would that be enough? Would that cover the cost? Would, would, would that let me off the hook? Would that enable me to, you know, just say, okay, I, I'm drawing the line and enough is enough and this is where I'm cutting it off. Now, it's almost like um, many of us, we're convinced that when we forgive somebody, that we're in some way doing them a favor. And here's why we think that, because when you are hurt or injured by someone, maybe someone takes credit for your idea at work and you've been wounded there's always a sense that that person who hurt you owes you something. Again, it goes back to that debt-to-debtor relationship. They owe me something. It might be, you know, you've ever heard the phrase, well, they owe me an apology. Um, they owe me the money that they swindled me out of. Or they owe me um, recognition. Man, I've worked and worked and worked at work, and my boss is not giving me any recognition for anything. He owes me some recognition. Or it might be a, a spouse, a wife that says, you know, my husband, uh, you know, owes me respect or owes me, you know, a, a love in, in ways that are tangible to me. So there are a lot of things that we, we build this debt-to-debt relationship because we've been hurt by somebody. They've said something, done something, and immediately we, we just launch out. And so how do we typically respond to hurt? Well, typically we do what Peter does. We just let it build up inside of us, and then we find somebody that we can build our case with, right? So it's like when somebody hurts us, a lot of times we, we're the offended, but we don't go to the person. We don't say anything to them. We just stuff it down, and we just don't want to deal with it. We just shove it under the carpet and depending on your personality, you know, some of you, uh, you know, you're, you're cholerics, you're like leaders and you're lions and, and you, you like to confront, right? In fact, almost in an unhealthy way. But those of you who are like phlegmatics that are introvert, you, you don't want to, you don't want to stir the pot. You don't want to create waves. And so you just don't say anything and you just stuff it on the inside. And so, um, yeah, this is what Peter does. And he begins building his case. He's been blasted. I don't know if it was emotionally or physically or whatever happened to him. And so when we do that, here, here's the second step in our process. We've buried that. Now we start to have conversations in our minds about this person. You ever? And, and, and have you ever noticed the conversations we have in our minds, they're always the bad guy, never us, right? So we're always the innocent party, and we have conversations in our minds as to how we would like it to go. Like, man, I'm going to go confront this person, I'm going to build my case, I'm going to lay out my plan and my strategy, and I just know that they're going to turn to me, and they're just going to be weeping and crying, and just like, oh, I'm so, so sorry, I did that, I didn't mean that, and, and on and on, because we, in our minds, that's how it's always going to go. It rarely does it go that way, right? You ever confronted somebody? 
Usually they, they deny it immediately. Um, and so we, we think, well, you know, if they're going to get back in my good graces, and this is the way it's going to happen. And then, if that weren't enough, again, we just, we just stuff the emotions. When you continually stuff negative emotions, it's called depression. Anger stuffed on the inside always results, leads to depression. Now, that's not the only cause of depression, okay? There are a lot of reasons why depression can come upon somebody. But if you're constantly shoving down anger, it will, it will lurk beneath the surface. And everybody you get around, you're going to share your story, and they're going to share their story. And when you share your story, it's like, you know, then they're going to step back and go, oh, you poor thing. If, I, if I'd gone through that, if they'd done that to me, now I don't understand how you feel. Now I, now I see why you've responded the way you've responded. And you, know, you poor thing, if, you know, if I had a husband or wife like that, I'd just, like, leave them. If I had a boss like that, I'd quit. If I had a neighbor like that, I'd move away. On and on we go. And so all of us have our own tactics, our own tendencies that we revert to when we are dealing with hurt and anger. Because remember, hurt, hurt never remains hurt, right? If, if, I, if I cut off the head of hurt the moment I'm hurt, that's to my advantage. Because if I let it linger, hurt always moves to anger, anger to resentment, resentment to bitterness, and bitterness to unforgiveness, and so the Bible warns us, please do not let any root of bitterness spring up within you because if you do, it will defile you. It will overtake you. It will, it will overtake your emotional system and your mind and, and the way you see yourself, the way you see others, the way you handle things, the way you deal with things. And so here's Peter in this scenario, and you know, it's like, I'm the innocent victim here, Jesus. I, they owe me. I don't owe them anything. Right? And so he's saying, in essence, Lord, when is enough enough? When can I draw the line? When can I say it's done? It's your move. When can I move on? Well, you can't, is what Jesus said. You can't move on until you let this thing die. Because until this thing dies, and the only way a death can be, death blow can be leveled against it, is by forgiving. And when you let it die, then you're able to live. So Peter's put, thrown this out to Jesus. Jesus understands the confusion. Peter's asked ask a very direct question. And as often, rather than Jesus giving a very direct answer, he tells him a story. And the reason why Jesus often tells stories is because a picture is worth a thousand words. Peter will never forget this story that Jesus paints so that he will understand what it is he needs to do when he is hurt. So in Matthew 18 and verse 21, he launches into this story. It says, then Peter came to Jesus, asked the Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Come on, Lord, I'm being generous here. <laughs> and Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 70 times. Seven times, which means forever, infinity. There's no time where you got a cutoff that says, oh, you, got, you don't have to forgive. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he began to settle, um, 
He began the settlement, and a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they had be sold to repay the debt. In other words, the king's saying, look, this guy can never pay, repay me for what he owes me, millions and millions of dollars. I'm going to cut my losses. So sell the guy, his wife, his children, everything he owns, and I'll take whatever that brings, and uh, you know, I'll have to absorb the rest. I'm, I'm just cutting my losses here. Now, at this point, <laughs> Jesus responds by saying in verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, at this point, this is like um, Hebrew humor, all right? People are going to be busting up laughing at Jesus' story. <laughs> yeah, there ain't no way that guy's going to pay anything back. There's, he, there's no way he could ever make that kind of money. I'm thinking that Peter's thinking at this time, Lord, I ask you a very specific question, and you're telling this story. I'm not a king. I don't have servants. Nobody owes me money. What in the world does this have to do with me? And so Jesus goes on. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, which is like a fraction of what he owed the king. He grabbed him and began to choke him. He said, pay back what you owe. He demanded. He demanded. Wow. But he refused. And said he went off and the man had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Now, I want you to notice, because here's the definition of forgiveness. Forgiveness means to cancel a debt. Notice what the king did with the initial, the initial servant. He canceled his debt, paid in full. Although he couldn't pay it all, paid in full. But then this guy who has received God's mercy by having his debt paid in full goes out and finds somebody who owes him a fraction of that kind of money, and he refuses to cancel the debt and has him thrown in prison. Now, as you're seeing this story, it becomes very clear who is whom. Right? So it's beginning to dawn on Peter, uh-oh, <laughs> I'm the servant. God has canceled this this huge debt in my life for all that I've done wrong, and now somebody has hurt me, but I'm refusing to extend the same mercy to them that God has extended to me. And so I think Peter's getting a little, um, just a little bit edgy right about this time, and then if that weren't enough, you wish Jesus had stopped there, at least Peter would have, but he goes on. Then the master called to the servant. He says, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had it on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back everything that he owes. Wow. And if that weren't enough, Jesus kind of put the knife in. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. 
Now, that's a pretty heavy subject. Um, How can you say that God is good, that God is gracious, and that God is kind? How can you be my enemy when I already have an enemy? Here's why God makes this last statement. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brother in your heart. Because God understands that to refuse to receive God's mercy through Jesus Christ and then to refuse that mercy to somebody else, to refuse to forgive, means that you have just pushed the self-destruct button in your life. Because that refusal to forgive will keep this backpack loaded up and this backpack, every single day of your life, slowly but surely brings self-destruction because all the toxic emotions that are inside of here are not contained just to the person who has committed that offense against you, but all of those toxic emotions, you're not good enough to separate that out. It spills over into every single relationship you have. It will destroy families. It destroys marriages It destroys a lot of things, friendships, workplace relationships. To hold on to anger and hurt and bitterness is like shifting into self-destructiveness. It's a matter of time. And so to refuse to forgive, to cut those ties, to cancel that debt, no matter how deep it is, you have just chained yourself to the hurt. And unless that hurt dies, you will never be able to move on in the future. You will carry that with you. It will haunt you. You've set up a staging place for Satan to operate from your life. And I can assure you that he will make sure that he can create as much destructiveness in your life and your relationships that he can possibly orchestrate because you're unwilling to give that up and to forgive that individual. Now, I didn't say this was easy. I just said it's necessary. It is not Listen, when Jesus says to forgive, it's not an option for a believer. It is a command. And here's why. Set this against the backdrop of what Jesus has done for us, right? So Jesus went to the cross, died in our place. That's the essence of the gospel so that we could receive the mercy of God, the cancelization of all of our sin, all of our debt, And then we want to turn around and say, but you don't understand what they did is far worse than anything I've ever done. Says who? And so we become blind to the bitterness that we're carrying. And if you don't think you're blind to it, if you don't think it's affecting your life, if you don't think it's having an impact upon you, then I, I challenge you with the question I gave you for the last several weeks. Just sit down and ask the person who's closest to you, what is it like to live on the other side of me? And so what do we do? How do we we move forward? How do we make progress? Um, Jesus said to us and to this group, if you refuse to forgive, regardless of the pain, you're like a wicked servant. Mercy is not giving people what they deserve. Mercy is giving people what they need. And that's exactly what God did for us. 
So every time Jesus, every time Paul deals with this issue of forgiveness, he always qualifies, especially the Apostle Paul, forgive others just as Christ forgave you. Here's our problem. We want mercy and justice. We want mercy for us, but we want justice for everybody else. And Jesus is basically saying, it just doesn't work that way. You're holding a debt. You're asking that person to pay that debt they cannot pay. You're withholding forgiveness. Listen, forgiveness is not about what you are releasing the other person from. It's what you are releasing yourself from. It's not denying what happened. It's not denying the pain that they caused. It's not, you know, getting them off the hook. They're on God's hook. They're not on your hook. God is the one who will distribute justice when it's all said and done in this world. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to try to play God. He can do that all by himself. So here's the three steps to forgiveness. Number one is you've got to determine what has been taken from you. What does this person owe you? When my dad left and, you know, I was harboring all this stuff and I was piling up my backpack and God confronted me and said, you know what, Greg, you've got to deal with this stuff because, man, it is making you an angry, bitter person. And you, listen, if I'd ask anybody on the other side of me, am I an angry, bitter person? I don't think I am. They would say, oh, yeah, you are. <laughs> oh, yeah. You just don't see it. You're blind to it. Is I had to ask myself, what does my dad owe me? What does he owe me? And my thought was, he owes me my childhood. He was never there for anything. He didn't even show up for my wedding. Never showed up for my graduation. Never showed up for a lot of things. He owes me my childhood. You see, you can't forgive somebody in broad generalities. I think I've put this on your outline. General forgiveness does not heal specific hurts. You've got to pull that hurt. And I had to pull out multiple ones here and say, okay, what does he owe me? What does he owe me? What does he owe me? And here's the bottom line is there was no possible way he could ever pay that back. None. Not possible. How do, you, how do you give me back my childhood? I'm an adult now. And so you need to go through that process. You know you've forgiven. Ultimately, when you don't want, you don't want to see the person punished for anything, right? So here's step number two. Is you got to drop the charge by canceling the debt. Drop the charge by canceling the debt. So let me give you a fill in the blanks here, and then let me give you a description of what that means. How do you do that? Well, number one, you've got to connect with the hurt or the trauma instead of running from it, all right? And so I, I had to pull my rocks out and say, okay, what's this rock? What does this represent? Who helped contribute to that being in my backpack, all right? So what, what's the trauma? What's the hurt? What's the pain that I'm dealing with here? I want to feel that, remember? We don't want to run from our feelings. We want to feel our feelings, but we want to deal with our feelings. We don't put our feelings in the driver's seat of our lives, but we do need to feel them. Because a lot of times people do not want to unload this backpack, because here's, here's the excuse I get all the time is, well, but I've put that all in the past, 
and, and I don't want to deal with that because that's just bringing up a lot of hurt. And by the way, pastor, I forgave them already. Really? Sure could have fooled me. This is a process, remember? You want to get healed? You want God to heal you from the inside out? This is the process. So you connect with the hurt, the trauma, instead of running. Number two, you verbalize how the violator, whoever that was, how that made you feel. I want you to get those feelings out on the table. It's not that you're going to like, okay, I'm going to get them out on the table and then I'm just going to stop feeling them. You, you can't do that. You can't. Do, if, I, if you're angry and I say, like we do with our kids, stop being angry. Yeah, that, that works well, right? <laughs> stop crying. You shouldn't feel bad. Well, okay. Well, they do. Remember, feelings are amoral. They just, they're expressing what's going on inside of us. They're neither right or wrong. They're just there. But I think, I think it, it, for me, it just helps to verbalize to get it out, verbalize it. And when I say verbalize it, I mean, I would just say it out loud. Man, I'm just like walking around the room. Okay, I, when I think, I think out loud, and I talk at, yeah, out loud when I'm thinking, and I do this even at home. You know, I'm talking out loud. My wife thinks I'm talking to her, and I'm not talking to her. And she goes, what, what? No, I'm not talking to you. So it just helps me to process. And so I'm just verbalizing this. Then number three, you ask this is very important. Ask the Holy Spirit, because remember, the Holy Spirit is the healer, okay? You're not the healer. The person who offended you, you're not the, the Holy Spirit's the healer. Ask the Holy Spirit how he views the violator and ex ask the, experience his compassion for that person. Now, I'm not going to say that you get compassion like that. Some of you will. You're asking Holy Spirit to bring healing where there's hurt, this was a process with me and my dad, okay? But here's what the Holy Spirit did. He took all the rocks, the hurt, brought healing in their place, and he began to develop within me a deep, deep abiding passion, compassion for my father. And then I knew I, was, I would be able to restore the relationship that was broken. And so I was the initiator of that. I was the offendee, but I was the initiator of the restoration of the relationship. Now, you can't always restore relationships. I get that. There's a difference between forgiveness and the restoration of relationships. Those are two different things. Even to this day, I am the initiator of that relationship. And so that this is the, the process. And so God just gave me this, this divine compassion for my father to the point that I really kind of felt sorry for him. I thought, you know what? You've, lost, you've missed out on so much in life that you could have experienced with your family. Here's number four. You pray a prayer of forgiveness for the violation. And I'm going to show you in a minute how to pray that prayer and lead you in one. We're just about done here. So look at these, these things. You're connecting with the hurt. You're pulling it out of the bag. You're verbalizing, this is what I feel. This is the pain. This is everything I... And so now you're asking Holy Spirit to heal. You're asking him to see that person as he sees that person, that you might have the same compassion upon that person that he has. And I know that's, you know, if, if you've, listen, I understand that some of you have been like traumatic things. If you've been sexually abused, 
That, that is a tall order. I, I get that. I understand that. But I'm telling you, if you want God to bring healing, it's a part of the process, and you know that you've received, that you experienced complete healing when you, you have compassion. Some of the placards you saw on the video, it said, as Jesus reminds us, listen, pray for your enemies. Do good towards them. Don't, don't give them the foothold. Don't give them the stage from which to operate in your life. Let that thing die so you can live again, so you can walk in freedom again, so that you're no longer bound up by those things like Lazarus was when he came out of the grave. What did Jesus say? Get those grave clothes off him because as long as you have that backpack filled with rocks, it's like trying to live your life with grave clothes on. God wants to take them off. Number Three is you have to daily decide not to reopen the case, right? Remember, forgiveness is canceling of a debt. It's not that you're going to forget what happened. Nobody forgets. Unless you get a case of dementia, <laughs> uh, amnesia or something, you're going to remember. When the Bible says that God remembers our sins no more, it's not because God has some kind of holy amnesia. God, he can remember the sins, but he holds it against us no more. Why? Because he canceled the debt, and he marked it paid in full. And so, again, it's a process. As you're forgiving people, it might be you walk through that process, and today, and maybe for a few days, you're doing really well in that area, and then all of a sudden, something happens, uh, something reminds you, triggers you back to that event, and Satan tries to drag you back there, and you just have to say, you know what, God, I'm not reopening this case. I forgave that. I canceled that debt. Father, I ask Holy Spirit that you just help me to remember this, but build compassion in me for this person, and you'll keep that up over time. Time, that's exactly the transition he'll make in your life. If you renew your mind in that way, your painful memories and painful events from the past that used to drive you crazy and send you over the edge can and will become memories of God's goodness and grace and healing power in your life if you allow it. God doesn't want you walking, living, existing with this backpack. It's time to unload it. So I want to lead you in a prayer. And then I'm going to lead you in a healing prayer. What does it mean to, to pray this? Uh, no, I didn't say praying, deciding to, or a, a prayer of forgiveness. What does that look like? And this is not the only way that you can pray a prayer of forgiveness. There's multiple different ways, but, but I just want to help you walk. So maybe right now, God stirred up something inside of you, a person, an event, a violator, an offender, and, and you know in your heart of hearts that you really got that rock still sitting in your backpack. So let's just bow our heads together and, and just open up our hearts the Spirit of God this morning as we close our time out. Heavenly Father, you, you see our hearts. You know the pain and the things in our past that bind us in the present. You see marriages that are destroying one another, and it's not even people in their marriage, but people from the past, that, that just all that toxic emotion has just flooded um, their emotional system. And they don't know any other way to act but to, act, to, but to react out of those emotions. And so, Lord uh, Jesus, I, I pray that you give us grace today. 
grace to forgive, to cancel that debt. And so if you're here this morning and maybe God's just bringing somebody to your heart, so I just want you to pray this prayer. Just in your heart, your mind. You pray it out loud if you want. Lord, I, I recognize that at Calvary, I lost my right not to forgive. Thank you for forgiving me for all my sins against you. But Lord, I, I admit this morning, I've been harboring anger in my heart against, and you fill in the blank. Who's, who's that against? I feel like that, that I have been the victim. And they have robbed me of, again, what's that for you? They rob you of your reputation, money, family, opportunity. What do they rob? What do they take? What do they owe you? What have they taken from you? And so, Father, with those thoughts in my mind and in my heart right now, I am choosing by an act of my will to cancel that debt. They don't owe me anymore. Debt canceled. Please allow my painful memories to become reminders of your grace and forgiveness and healing in my life. In the mighty name of Jesus, may you, Father, replace my hurt with compassion, with the ability to extend mercy to the person who brought or that event that brought this pain into my life. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for sending your son to die and to pay a debt that I could never pay. Now may you give me the grace to show that kind of mercy and love to other people. And in the process, may you heal me from the past and give me the courage and the strength to move on into the future. Heavenly Father, today, I let that thing die so that I can begin to live in the power, the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit of God. And we ask all these things and pray all these things in the mighty name of Jesus who has made all of it possible. Amen. Now, let's stand together. and. Maybe that was a beginning step for some of you. That's the process. That's the step you have to take with everything that's in here. This may take weeks, months, but you got to get started. You say, well, I've tried that before on my own, and, and man, I just like, I can't do it. I'm just like stuck. We have people here who God has gifted to help you in that process, get you started. And when you come to see uh, the, our, our prayer team, you don't have to pray, all right? They pray for you. They just ask the Holy Spirit to guide you to the root of this for you to experience God's healing and teach you and give you and equip you with the tools necessary to unload your 
your backpack so that you have the freedom and the peace and the joy and the contentment that God wants for you throughout the course of your life. But you, nobody can do this for you but you. But if you'll take a step towards the Holy Spirit, he always takes a step towards you and he can heal. I am living proof. There are many in this church can stand up and testify. They are living proof of what the Spirit can, can do when you allow him. So we sing this morning, we praise him. If you're here this morning, you've never trusted Jesus as your Savior and Lord. It all begins there. You, but you can't extend mercy until you've experienced it firsthand, right? I can't give what I don't, I have not experienced, what I don't have. God wants you to know that he loves you. He wants to forgive. He wants to set your life free of the guilt and the shame and all those rocks that you're carrying around with you. And it begins with that initial step of receiving his gift, his free gift of salvation through his payment on the cross. You've never made that decision. Love to talk, pray with you about that. I'll be here at the front. You can come now, come later, whichever you choose. The altar is open just to come and pray and just release it. Lay it on the altar. Let it go. Let it die before you leave this place this morning. So let's lift up our voices to our Heavenly Father and praise and worship for what he's done.
God, thank you that we have been set free by what you did on Calvary, Lord. I just pray that as we go, Lord, we would extend that same grace, that same mercy, and that forgiveness to others, Lord, that you first showed to us when we were so undeserving of it. I thank you for the freedom that we have in you, the life that we have in you, Lord. We just thank you now and just go with us. In your name, amen. Have a wonderful week.